When Nicole Gingerella was 21 years old, her mother died in her mid-40s. That was 15 years ago. I had never been around nurses before, but I vividly remember going into the ICU and seeing these nurses. Yes, they took care of my mother medically, and that was wonderful, but they did her hair and did her nails, and it was really beautiful. And I thought, what a fulfilling job to take care of someone who can't take care of themselves. Gingerella knew then that she wanted to become a nurse. She trained in pediatrics and spent the first years of her career in the pediatric ICU. Now, she's a pediatric hospice nurse practitioner at MJHS Health System in New York. We do a lot that I think people don't know can be done at home in terms of medical interventions. We do IVs, we do you know continuous infusions, whether it be pain medication or, you know, if they need extra fluids. A lot of things that they do in the hospital, we really can do at home if that's the goal of the family. Hospice care is medical comfort care for people who have a diagnosis of less than six months to live. Government programs like Medicare pay for it, and so do private insurance companies. The latest statistics show that 1.72 million Medicare beneficiaries were enrolled in hospice in 2020. If an adult chooses hospice care, they must forego curative treatments, things such as surgery, chemotherapy, or radiation. But young people under the age of 21 can choose both hospice care and curative treatment at the same time. We talk to the, the family because it is their choice when the child is very young. That allows the family to really make that decision of, do I want that for my child, right? So if I say, you know, there's a good possibility that your child one day, their heart will stop. Do you want them to get chest compressions? Do you want them to have a tube that's going to help them breathe? We often do have parents say, how do I know I'm making the best decision? Like, how do I know that this is the best decision for my child? And I always tell them, as long as you're making that decision out of love, it's the best decision. Beyond medical care, Gingerella's consistent presence provides a familiar face to patients and their families. It's a special bond that comes with visiting the same home and nurturing the same relationships multiple times each week. The hospital is very different. They're kind of in this different environment where they don't know people and they don't know what the beeping noise is and what those weird smells are and all those other things. But at home, they're comfortable. And it's just this sense of community. And we're part of that home community. And so it, it really does allow us to get to know the family. Um, and then when that difficult time does come for the child to pass, we're not new faces, right? We're there. In the weeks leading up to the holidays, Gingerella and her team make their house calls a bit more festive. They dress up in Christmas sweaters and as Frosty the Snowman. They sing songs and bring gifts, like crayons and coloring books. On this day in December, Gingerella is making a home visit with a nine-year-old boy. He has a neurological disorder in which he has seizures, but he is aware of his surroundings, and he smiles and communicates in his own way. He responds really well to the music. There are moments like these in which Gingerella and her team can bring joy to a family. But Gingerella has also been in a home when the inevitable does happen, and a child dies. And we drive a lot, right, because we're going to all these patients' houses. And so I actually sit in silence. For me personally, I like to give that patient and family some 
space in my head and some space in the universe of like sitting in that moment and thinking about how I took care of that child. I personally have always known I wanted to work with children. Samara Durganen is a student at Pace University and a volunteer at MJHS. She works with Gingerella. My experiences with these children are definitely during very formative times in their life. So the actions that you take to be with these children are really going to have so much impact. Durgadin was diagnosed with two chronic illnesses as a teenager, which left her bedridden for a period of time. She had a difficult time processing how her illnesses would shape the course of her life. And when she turned 18, she wanted to volunteer in pediatric hospice to support patients close to her age, their siblings, and extended families. When I went over one day, the family was celebrating Diwali. I didn't realize the extent of how they viewed me until they mentioned that, oh, we ended up like making extra food because we knew you were coming. And even one of the older cousins who's in eighth grade told me that, oh yeah, the younger ones really like it when you come around. They've changed so much in terms of their behavior and how open they are. And then she told me that you're like a sibling to all of us. And then that just made me like burst into tears out of happiness. Siblings are sometimes called the forgotten gravers because people forget to check in on them. And so that is one of the things that I do, especially when I first meet a family, is I get to know their siblings, how many they have, what do they like to do. And I really like to get volunteer services in there as soon as possible because they need an outlet. When I first meet the parents, I am always surprised at or taken aback by the amount of gratefulness they seem to have towards me as a volunteer when I've barely met them because I've realized that they also want someone to listen to them because they often feel so alone in what they're going through as a parent. When Gingerella tells people what she does for a living, they often respond by saying, well, that's so sad. How do you do that? I did worry when I started that I would be very sad a lot, that my job would just be surrounded by sadness, but there's a lot of joy that comes with my job. And that far outweighs the sadness. Onomatopoeia, Sounds Like New York, is a production of the Columbia Graduate School of Journalism. This episode was written and produced by me, Liza Monasabian. Joanne Farian is our professor and executive producer.